Welcome back to People Analytics. I am your host, Lindsay Patton. Today I have with me Sara Bukhari, who is, Sara, you are head of people and culture culture at Murison. Is that correct? They say, yep, okay, that's right. I know. I'm sorry. I had a little trouble pronouncing uh, Murison at first. So I'm glad you helped me with that. Uh, so tell me about what you do and uh, what Murison does. Sure. Um, so Immersion is a virtual reality startup. And what we do is we leverage the best of human intelligence and artificial intelligence to create learning opportunities uh, for anybody who wants to really have an in-depth practice conversation. Um, so you can think about that as being anything from, um, you know, like a high stakes conversation around, I want to have a promotion, or it can be something that's like giving somebody difficult news, or it can be teachers uh, who are thinking about how do I deliver this content to my students. So it, what it really does is it immerses uh, our learners in an environment where they're able to practice and have multiple at-bats at trying to get a conversation correct while still being in a safe environment. Um, my role here at Immersion is as our head of people and culture. So what I do is actually support all the amazing people who are behind the technology, who are, um, you know, supporting all of our uh, learners in order to be able to um, do their do their uh, simulations. That is awesome. And I apologize that my dog just burst through the office door. No problem. This, this is our new world of it work. It really is. I thought I had shut it, but no, he, he told me I did not. <laughs> um, so I want to talk about the opportunity that you give people to have these conversations in a safe space. I That's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, what we really do is we want to think about what are the most common sorts of interactions that different people in the workforce will have. And then how do you replicate those in a way that feels authentic and meaningful? And again, gives you that muscle memory or the ability to practice having those conversations. It takes a huge team of people to make that happen. Um, everybody from working with different clients to the people who are building the technology, of course, the people who build the art, um, and then our simulation specialists who are our staff who actually deliver the simulations. Um, they're the voices behind the avatars, uh, as well as bringing to life sort of the facial expressions and the emotions or the body language because communication doesn't just happen verbally, it happens visually as well. And so we look to create both sides of that equation when our learners step into a simulation. That's really awesome. So having that people-centered uh, mission within, you know, your your company's culture, does that kind of set the tone for you as someone in the people space? Yeah, absolutely. So um, our whole purpose is to enhance human interactions. And so when you think about doing that externally, you've also got to figure out how to do that internally. So as a head of people and culture, a lot of what I think about or I try to focus on is what's going to help people to have stronger relationships here at work so that even when we're working virtually, that we can rely on each other. And um, even if you've never met your coworker, you have a strong sense of trust with them. Um, here on the people and culture side as well, we lean a lot into looking at 
data or really listening to what it is that our people are saying. So that way we can pivot to their needs because, um, you know, when you have a, a semi-large workforce, it's difficult to always know like what's best for everybody. Um, so the data really does a lot of the talking for us and helps point us in the right direction. Yeah. So let's talk about data in the people space. I know that is one topic that gets you excited. So what excites you most about using data in your role? Uh, I think it's just that it, it gives you a different sort of an insight and it helps you to really feel more confident that you have a pulse of the organization. Um, it's really funny, actually, my daughter, who's four years old, a couple of days ago was like swinging around in her booster seat in the car. And I kept saying to her, you have to listen, you have to sit up straight, you have to listen. And she said to me, mama, I don't want to listen. I want to be heard. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, that is a people and culture lesson right yeah. there for you. <laughs> and to me, it really says, um, it really kind of explains why data is so important because it's a way for people to be heard and for their thoughts to be captured. So whether it's running engagement survey, surveys or doing stay interviews or just even having one-on-one check-ins, all of that is data and all of it can be collected to kind of give you a more comprehensive picture of what is it that people want to be heard about mm-hmm. um, or what is it that they care about that brings them back to work day after day. Yeah. And I mean, your daughter is just a reminder for what we all want, really. We just want to be heard. <laughs> and um, yep, So how do you hear, you know, the people in your space? Uh, Well, I think one of the things that I rely on um, most, well, I'd say there are two things that I really rely on most. So one is thinking about how do you leverage survey capabilities or survey data um, to kind of get a, a sense of what how are people feeling in that moment in time? It doesn't give you the whole picture. It doesn't give you like their like, how do I really feel about everything? Um, but it does give you sort of a sense or a direction of which way should I start to pivot? Um, so I, I do like running either short surveys um, frequently or longer surveys that you can dig into and then talk about with managers. And the survey data by itself is less important, I think, to me than the conversations you have around the data. Um, so getting managers together and say, like, why, why do we think that this particular number dropped? Or why do we think that this is being raised as a concern? From those conversations is where big ideas start to get sparked and where you can then start to shift directions and, and work in ways that are going to help um, the people in your organization feel heard um, and also just feel more supported. So I'd say that's one way. And then um, and then conversation is the second thing. So yeah. um, I actually just went through a series of stay interviews, um, just given everything that's happening in the tech world and everything that's happening just sort of in the world in general with the great resignation and whatnot. Um, it felt like it was really important to talk to as many of our employees one-on-one as I possibly could. So I set up 15 minute calls and I just asked three questions about what's going well. What's something that you think that um, we can improve on in the next six months? And then um, just how are you feeling about work? And do you have a foot out the door? I just asked it really directly <laughs> to kind of get a sense of like, where are people's heads? And um, I learned so much in those conversations and then having to translate that over for our department leaders and for our managers to say, here's some themes or trends. Um, it just, it helped me to feel like I was really deeper under the surface um, just by having taken the time to, to have all of those conversations. I love that you had that, that you kind of 
took inventory of what was happening around everyone and thought, okay, I, I should probably, you know, get the temperature of, of everyone here. I feel like a lot of, uh, at least in my experience, that companies, they set up meetings when things are going, you know, wrong instead of just a, hey, how are you doing? Uh, just a, a regular run-of-the-mill check-in. So how has implementing that really helped you connect with the people that you work with? Um, so it's interesting because I think that oftentimes there's this tendency to want to automate everything, especially HR, just because you're juggling so much. But there's some things that I think you just, you shouldn't automate because then you really, you lose a lot of the nuance in that. Um, so while we did the state interviews, I wouldn't say that that's the most sustainable thing to do on a monthly basis or necessarily even at a um, quarterly basis. But something that my team, and they're a very creative group of individuals, um, came up with was to do office hours. So it's a way to still keep those open doors of communication um, between ourselves and our staff, um, but to have them be based around different themes to attract people to come and have conversations with us. So some of the themes might be things around how do you build social connections at work as a virtual organization, or things like, um, you know, I'm thinking about uh, performance reviews, and I want to figure out how to present myself in the best light, or how do I give feedback? Um, so by theming office hours, it create sort of like a pull strategy to bring our people's voices to us, but at the same time, we're maintaining those open lines of communication um, and learning more about what it is that people need or want. So that's an idea that they're launching this summer. Um, we haven't actually started it yet, but all the pieces and the planning are in place. And, and that's one of the ways to not automate, but get to sustainability or scale with sort of the same spirit or the same ethos of um, making sure people feel heard. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you about how those conversations went because there have been articles after article written about how do we retain, you know, the great resignations happening? How do we retain talent? Um, and I feel like those are answered just by what you're doing is checking in. So what did you learn about, um, you know, the people that, that work for your organization when you had those check-ins? Um, well, what was interesting is that there were themes both by department or team, but there were also um, sort of universal themes that I started to notice that were um, true across the entire organization. So um, feeling like somebody, at least one individual, is invested in your growth and development was a theme that felt very universal. But what it looked like was different team by team. So you might have a team um, in sales where they would say, we really want to have very structured career paths. Um, and then you might have a, another team, say, in the art department where they would say, um, it's not about structured paths or growth, but it's really about the learning opportunities and having access to new technology and um, just cutting edge ideas and that sort of a thing. So I think if we had just stayed at that surface level of just sort of the big surveys, we would have only heard people want growth, uh, growth opportunities. And I would have interpreted it the way that I would have expected or wanted that to look like. Um, but by digging a little bit deeper in and having those one-on-one -on -one conversations, we can start to parse out like, what does that look like individual by individual or team by team. Um, so I think that was really helpful. And then the second thing is um, sometimes people would come into these conversations with their arms crossed and like, why am I spending time with you? Like, I don't want to have a conversation with HR. And um, and 15 minutes is not a lot of time. So people didn't really kind of get a sense of like, why is she, why is she breaking up my day? <laughs> 
But um, by the end of the conversation, so many people said, thank you. Like, I I didn't even realize I had those thoughts. Or um, thank you for just taking a little bit of time to open the line of communication. Um, And interestingly enough, after that, people who, you know, like, really would have reached out to me, started reaching out to me on a more regular basis to just say like, hey, I want to share this idea or I have this thought. So I think um, it it was two things. Like one, like, yes, it gave me a lot of data and insight into our people, but also it made it more comfortable to have those conversations because I'd taken that first step. So others were willing to take a step back towards me as well. That's really, really awesome to hear. I mean, especially, you know, you mentioned the, the arms crossed, um, you know, attitude and how that, you know, once someone has a voice, you know, or here has someone to listen to them, it's amazing what can change. And I feel like you that gave them gave uh, your you know the people that you work with an opportunity to be heard. As you know, going back to what your daughter said. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Um, I think there's another thing too. It, it, when you're going through so much change as an organization, to be able to create moments of consistency or predict for your staff allows them to feel safer in sharing their opinions. So um, for instance, like we run a newsletter that comes out on a weekly basis and we're very specific about it has the exact same format every single week. It comes out every Friday at nine o'clock Eastern um, and it, it's just, it's predictable. Um, even if there's not a lot to say, even if it's, if it's a really um, sort of thin <laughs> newsletter for that week. Uh, it creates that sense of constancy for our staff. And so similarly in thinking about like, how are you, uh, so that's like a push sort of communication, right? Like we're pushing it out to our staff, but in thinking about like, how do you pull information or how do you pull data from staff? Um, I think there has to be constancy there as well. So if you're running engagement surveys or performance reviews or whatnot, giving people enough of a runway to know it's coming and telling them, you know, six weeks in advance, like, this is going to be on the horizon. You're probably not thinking about it right now, but it's coming. And then four weeks later or four weeks before you do the same thing. And then three weeks before, and then the week before, um, I think it just gives people that sense of predictability. And so HR doesn't feel as scary to them. Um, and I think like often like in TV and stuff, like you see, you know, HR is like, you get called into HR and it's like, oh no, it's going to be a bad conversation. Um, but what I really want our staff to think about is people in culture is here as a support team. Um, they're not here to sort of like lay down the law and just do compliance issues and that, that kind of a thing. And so it does require a lot of back and forth and just being open to pulling people in as much as it is about pushing communications out. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I love connecting with guests like you is because, you know, these are the leaders that are recognizing, you know, these, how HR is portrayed in media or, you know, the term, oh, I had to talk to HR, like that's such a negative connotation sometimes. But then, you know, there's guests that come on this, this show and they're like you and you're like, you know, what can we do to change that to make HR not a scary term, um, you know, to make it a term that is a problem solving term. And that's really awesome to see. Absolutely. And I think also um, then taking those insights that we gather as a people and culture team and sharing them out is another thing that makes it feel less scary for people. So, for instance, um, like if you run an engagement survey or a DE&I survey or something like that, taking a pause and, and just sharing that with different teams, whether it's at 
the leadership level or um, for us, we did a, a great debrief of our um, survey that we did around inclusion and inclusive practices with our hourly staff members, really helping them to understand like why was the survey asking the questions that it did? What did we learn from it? And then how does that influence the work that we do with them? Um, and that was important to me to do that sort of a debrief because with our hourly staff members, their connection or their um yeah, I guess our connection to the organization just feels different than if you're a salaried full-time staff member. It may not be your primary focus. And so ensuring that we continue to hear from them, um, that was an important goal of mine. And therefore, sharing the data with them and being transparent about it um, was important because, um, in my mind at least, it means that they're going to be more likely to complete those sorts of initiatives or those sorts of surveys in the future, because they know it just doesn't go into a black hole somewhere. Um, so I think that transparency piece is also really important in thinking about who do you share data with and why and how, um, so that it feels actionable and it feels valuable beyond just your immediate team. Yeah. And I, I think that transparency is important in HR too, because I, I feel like, again, the term, the department, it has a lot of mystery behind it. And, um, you know, that that tendency to go to a negative connotation of, oh, I'm going to get in trouble or they're, they're plotting against me. It's not, you know, I think that has a lot to do with that kind of secrecy, but being transparent, it tells people what, what you're working on and how it's bettering. And I really love that. So how have you gotten any feedback about, you know, those transparent behaviors that have benefited uh, employees? Yeah, so I'll um, actually share a little bit of a story around something that my director of talent strategy created. Um, we have a number of trainings, or um, some are mandatory because it's like you know sexual harassment training and that sort of a thing, and then others are designed internally by us. So we have a training that we require all of our staff to go through that's focused on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, and it needs to be completed in the first six months of an employee's um, tenure here at Mersion. Um, and we just rolled this out last year. So we have a lot of people who are going through it. And um, we also said that it's tied to performance management. So in order to receive a, a rating of meets expectations around two of our behavioral competencies, one which is um, uh, develops an inclusive culture, and the second which is demonstrates a growth mindset, then you have to have completed the main components of this training. But we knew that it was going to be really hard for managers to run after every single person and say, hey, you didn't do this part, you didn't do that part. And so we wanted to make the um, progress or the completion really transparent to our staff members. Um, so one thing my director of talent strategy did is to actually create an anonymous spreadsheet. Um, you can look yourself up by your employee ID number. So you're, you know, nobody's getting shamed for only having completed half of the training. <laughs> um, but you can see your percentage of completion, uh, both in the content itself. So like, did you actually engage with the content? But then also uh, we require our staff to go through immersion simulation to practice the learning content. Um, and the simulation is designed around an employee who uh, in a meeting makes sort of a gaffe and says something that's um, derogatory around disability. And so in the simulation, you step into the simulation and there's another coworker who's just kind of feeling a little bit put up by it and they have a personal connection to it. And so as the learner, as the immersion employee, now you have to navigate, how do I rebuild that relationship? One, how do I take accountability for what I said? And then again, how do I rebuild that relationship? 
And it builds on the ideas of learning um, that people got through videos or articles or that sort of a thing, um, and now translates it over into application, um, which we hope then leads to behavioral change, which, you know, like from the research that we've done, we've shown that um, multiple at-bats in immersion simulation does lead to behavioral change. And so we wanted to create that opportunity for our staff as well. That is so, so awesome. And I just wish everyone had an opportunity to go through a simulation or training that, you know, gets to the emotion of why certain things hurt or why certain things in the workplace are not okay. And I feel like that gets to really the human element of it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, one of the things I think that's really powerful about our simulations is that they are adaptive to the learner. So it's not like a video game where it's like you have a limited number of choices. If, you know, like if I, if I say X, um, you know, like there are only like five responses that could potentially be given because we have humans who are actually in the loop as, as we call them or behind the technology who are, um, you know, being the voices of the avatars, they're responding to you in real time based on the context of what you said. Um, and so it feels much more authentic and it really pulls you more deeply in. Um, and then you feel more prepared for when you have to have those conversations yourself because you've gone through something that felt really realistic. Yeah, which is, you know, the whole, you know, value mission of immersion, correct? Just preparing and gaining confidence. Yep. Absolutely. That's, exactly. That's really cool. And that's something, um, you know, I teach business communications and a lot of the, the class is me just telling the students, don't worry about grades because this is where you get to screw up before you get into your career. Um, so, you know, I totally understand the importance of having that safe space and those, those practice runs because you don't really get, you don't get practice runs, you know, when you're out there. Mm-mm. No, for sure. You don't. Or if you have a practice run, it's a really rare sort of a thing yeah. where somebody's like given you a lot of grace and been like, eh, you know, maybe you should have said it this way instead. Right. Um, but it's hard to find those sorts of opportunities. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about, you know, the values and, and mission of uh, immersion and why that it's so important to determine that culture and, you know, just live out that that culture and values. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I say this to my team all the time. I say this to everybody all the time that if you don't know the rules of the game, you can't win. And so going back to that idea of transparency, we have to be really transparent with our staff around what is it we value? What does it look like in the workplace? And then how does that impact you or how does that impact how you show up at work? So in order to get to that um about two years ago, actually a little bit more than two years ago, um, I led an initiative here at Mergen to actually define our values. And we involved literally every member of the organization. At the time, we were much smaller, we were less than 75 people. Um, but we iterated and reiterated and re-reiterated on that set of values to make sure that they were both indicative or descriptive of who we are as an organization, but also felt aspirational. So we didn't want to say like, here's a low bar. These are things that like, yep, everybody does in any company. We wanted to set a high bar for ourselves and say that this is descriptive of who we are, but it also provides a North Star around how we engage with each other. Um, So for instance, one of my favorite values is that we lead with curiosity. So it's really focused around the idea of, um, 
not everybody's going to have all the answers. It's important to engage in dialogue, to ask curious questions. Um, whether you are a manager or an independent contributor, uh, whether you're the CEO or you're, you know, your very first uh, job as an intern, it doesn't matter. Like leading with curiosity is still a valuable skill and something that should be ingrained in everything we do. So that was our first step was really just defining what are those values and, and who, like what is true about who we are. And then the second step was to translate those then into behaviors. And so what we did is we took the version values and we translated them into performance competencies. So now we're giving a really clear indicator to our employees around um, how is your performance actually evaluated or measured? And then how are you coached forward to get stronger and stronger in whatever those performance behaviors are? So each of our four values is ingrained into each of our five performance competencies. Um, and so it's a way to, to just say like, here's how we're transparent, transparently bringing those to life for each of our employees. Um, and hopefully it's also the way that we give feedback, right? Because then we can start to use the language of the values to give feedback and say, um, you know, the, one of our values is the courage to be human. So um, if there is, say, a staff member who um, is being really inflexible and say, like, I don't, I don't want to hear that idea, really. I don't want to give this person um, the space to really be able to, to try something new, um, for somebody giving feedback, you can kind of lean into that and say, um, well, what would it take to be more courageous and more human in this moment? Like, what would that look like? What are the, what are the downfalls of not letting the staff member try something totally new? Um, and how is not letting them try that not being indicative of our value of the courage to be human? Um, and so it gives you just sort of like a framework to be able to have those conversations. Yeah, that is a great way to look at any situation because we get wrapped up in our own heads and experience and, you know, we can, we think we can see how something's going to go and, and, you know, we just sometimes have to be, you know, have the courage to be more human. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's really wonderful. And I can see, you know, like the, the way that you set up the values, there's, su there's such structure to it so that you can, you know, uh, carry them out in your day to day. And so how did structure help you establish, you know, that day to day carrying out with those values? So I'd say, um, I think one thing was just saying that the value, like just being dedicated to the idea that the values are not meant to just live on a wall somewhere yeah. or in like your orientation handbook. Um, the values are meant to be lived and they're meant to shed a light on what it means to work at Mersion. Um, I think sometimes people will talk about, um, you know, like every, everybody should be able to be successful in any environment, in any workplace. And that's just a little bit unrealistic, right? But if you tell people that here's what it takes to be successful in this specific environment, then they're more apt to be successful there. Um, it, it's sort of like I think about like, um, so I was a soccer player growing up um, and I loved playing soccer. It was a sport I was good at. But if you put me on a baseball field, I would probably fail. Okay. <laughs> I would like be flailing at the ball, couldn't catch a thing. Um, and so I couldn't be as successful in that environment unless I had um, proper coaching. I knew all the rules of the game. I had time to practice and so on. Right. So some people might have an aptitude for a particular sport or a particular role or a particular organization. Um, 
but they're never going to be successful there if you haven't really, again, pulled back that curtain and said, here are the rules of the game. Here's how you're going to be successful here. Um, and so having the structure then of um, translating the values into performance competencies and then naming specific behaviors that are demonstrated when you're enacting that particular performance competency was the structure that we needed in order to create that sense of transparency for our staff. Um, and then obviously also just running it regularly, right? So like running a performance management system um, or a cycle twice a year, um, being really clear with people about what does it entail. We create a self-reflection in the cycle as well. So it's not just like a one-way street, but the staff member can say, here's how I experienced the last two quarters. And then the there's also 360 components. You can get peer feedback, upward feedback, and then the manager pulls all of that together and then writes their evaluation. Um, but they still don't submit it <laughs> immediately. They have a conversation with the staff member around, does this sound accurate? And then they submit those evaluations. So it's really, we think about it as being a two-way street. And that's one of the things that helps, again, make those values feel really palpable or alive because it's not just somebody saying like, you got a one on this or you got a five on that. Um, it's, it's again, it's a conversation. So we're like developing um, more fluency in those values themselves. And me being a career journalist, I'm, I'm seeing, you know, the way you're doing things, it's as a, a writing a, a feature about a, a person. You want to look for other sources to tell you, oh, what's this person's character? Like you want to research into, you know, what they've done. Uh, you know, you're, you're painting an entire picture of who this worker is. And that's really, really great how you're, you're pulling from every resource available that, you know, to paint this picture. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also um, hearing you say that it's not just about one moment in time that we're trying to pull that snapshot from. It's really thinking about, you know, over the course of around six months of performance. Um, so one of the things that we also ask our staff to do is to give um, ongoing feedback. So it's not an event that just happens at the end of a performance cycle, but it happens, it should be happening on a weekly basis, again, through those one on one meetings or, um, through the different tools that we use for giving and receiving feedback. Uh, not everybody always engages in that because it's sometimes hard to remember, um, you know, to put it into writing, but uh, it is always a helpful tool when you can look back and say, oh, like four months ago, like, this is where you were. This felt like a struggle, but look at where you are today. Um, or vice versa, like this was a struggle four months ago. It still is. So like, let's figure out what the right tools or the right coaching will be in order for it not to be a struggle another four months from now. Yeah. And having those touch points available at any time um, and just, you know, that feedback just ongoing is so important. Um, I recently had a review with um, an organization that I do digital communications for, and they had that self-reflection um, aspect. They had, okay, is there anything that we can do better? And I'm thinking, well, Every time we come against a problem, it's it's solved. So I, I don't have any feedback right now because we just solve problems as they come up. And I feel like, you know, that is kind of what you're doing. And by the time it, it comes to that review point, you know, a, a lot of other companies have all these things to talk about that have built up over a year or six months. And you've been touching base. So it's just, okay, well, let's check back in on this thing you talked about, you know, two months ago. And it just seems so much smoother that way. 
It does. And I'll also say again, like we're not doing these things perfectly. <laughs> so that's sort of the, the ideal that we want to get to for every single staff member. Um, so that's actually, I think the next nut that I want to crack is then how do you, how do you support your managers in really, um, really practicing all of these strong, important um, practices themselves, even when they are sort of crunched for time or crunched for resources themselves. So um, we have a set of manager values that we've created as well, um, or manager competencies, I should say. Um, And we did that actually in partnership with Life Labs Learning, which is a training organization that we partnered with um, to support us in thinking about what are the most essential manager skills that are needed in order for organizations to be successful. Um, And a lot of them, you know, they kind of come back down to things that – I guess our common practice, things like giving really good feedback, keeping consistent one-on-ones and so on. Um, But now I'm starting to think about like, how do you then embed that into daily practices for managers so that it's not, again, just something that sits on a wall somewhere or just is in a binder of like, oh yeah, I know those are good practices, right? Like, but are actually part of your daily habits. Um, So we're getting there and then it will become much more consistent, I think. (laughs) So this conversation has been so inspiring. Um, You know, just hearing all the effort that you've put in to make people's lives at work better and, you know, the work that that you have ahead of you and how, you know, passionate you are and recognizing, you know, that there is still room for growth and, it's this conversation has been so wonderful to have, and I'm so grateful to have you as a guest on the show. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Um, is there anything that you would like to add before we wrap up this talk? Uh, well, thank you for for letting me come on the show. Actually, I'm uh, always excited to talk about people practices, and um, I, I think it's just the last thing that I would say is um, one thing that I've noted that has been really difficult for me in this role is to think about like, how do I keep a pulse on myself? Right? As a person who's leading all of these different initiatives or who's supporting others and leading these initiatives, um, it can be very easy to get burnt out. And one of the things that I've found to be tremendously helpful is to build a network of other people leaders to bounce ideas off of. So um, I would say there's very little that I've come up with in one culture that is a creative, totally unique idea. A lot of it comes from having conversations with other people leaders around what's working for you or how would you try this differently or can you help me figure out this problem? Um, and I think having that network and, and investing time in it outside of your organization can help you come back to your organization with really fresh um, ideas that then again end up supporting the people and culture that you're working towards building. So um I don't know that if I have anything else to say other than that, but I would just encourage any of your listeners to, to think about building that network because it's so important. Obviously, like listening to podcasts like yours helps and spreading ideas and whatnot. Um, uh, but yeah, I think that's it for me. Yeah. So if people want to connect with you, someone who's looking for that, that network that you're searching for, what's the best way for them to reach out? 
Sure. I'd say uh, probably LinkedIn. I am actually one of those people who reads every LinkedIn in message that I get. <laughs> um, so I, it's my name is Sara, S-A-R-A, and last name is Bokhari, B-O-K-H-A-R-I. So you can just look me up on LinkedIn and find me there. Um, and then I'm also part of a few different HR networks. So um, there's some great Slack groups like Resources for Humans or People Geeks. Um, I'm a huge fan of the Amplify Talent community as well. Um, that's led by Laura Schmidt, who's um, a fantastic HR. HR visionary. So just looking for those sorts of networks, I'll probably bump into you there if um, that's a place that you'd like to hang out. Yeah, contacts, information, and resources. I love it. <laughs> well, if you or anyone you know is like Sara and is really passionate about creating people-centric spaces, please reach out to me, lindsay at staffgeek.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Staff Geek's People Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton, and I'm always looking to interview leaders who put people first. If you or someone you know lead with a people-first mindset, please email me at lindsay at staffgeek.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y at staffgeek.com. If you want to take things a step deeper and understand your organization's true culture DNA, I encourage you to take Staff Geek's free culture assessment. Just head to staffgeek.com and click the button that says free culture assessment. Thanks again for listening.